the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, always right radio at alwaysright.us as well. We are loaded up today. It's a Wednesday, but it's a curse now day. How about that? Thirteenth morning, seventh month, year of our Lord twenty twenty two. And Peter Kersenow will be along, and that's because, of course, Peter was not able to be with us yesterday as he was on the road in Denver continuing to, you know, do that whole day job, that whole lawyering thing, that whole Civil Rights Commission thing, all of those important things. So, no, Peter is uh, going to be back with us today. It'll be at uh, 10 o'clock. Coming up first, though, we're going to talk to uh, Stephen Mosier. You don't know Stephen Mosier, probably, but he's one of the uh, earliest individuals to sound the alarm on the COVID uh, lab origins, and now he is sounding the alarm on pandemics. He's the president of the Population Research Institute. He's a leading authority on China where this whole thing originated, and he's going to talk to us about what they're doing to us now. And in case you didn't hear, by the way, they are essentially making it known. The virus is coming back. 
It's going to be hitting in full force with a subvariant in this fall, coming up this fall, just in time to screw with Ohio election, or excuse me, with nationwide midterm elections. Uh, and they're not even hiding it. They're literally declaring it's coming back. And how about this for, and I'll talk to Stephen Mosier about this, how about this for a perfectly timed admission from Dr. Science himself, the man who says, I am science. If you criticize me, you're criticizing science because I am science. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the fraud, is admitting what you and I have known for two and a half years. COVID-19 shots do not protect, quote, overly well against infection. I mean, I've known that. You knew that. The CDC had to essentially admit that when they changed the definition of vaccine and vaccination on the CDC website, the actual literal definition of those words. They changed them because vaccinated used to be synonymous with inoculated. Inoculated means you are indeed protected from infection, not your symptoms will be lessened. Inoculation, you can't get sick now. That's what the word used to mean. They changed it because they knew that these vaccines that they were calling vaccines, these shots, these these DNA-redefining experimental uh, shots, were not vaccines, and people were getting shots and then getting sick, then getting a booster and still getting uh, COVID, then getting a second booster and still getting COVID. Dr. Fauci himself is living proof of that, but yesterday was the first time he actually admitted it. Quote, one of the things that's clear from the data that even though vaccines, because of the high degree of transmissibility of this virus, don't protect overly well, as it were, against infection. They protect quite well against severe disease leading to hospitalization and death. And I'll just stop right there. Because you've heard all you need to hear. The truth, they don't protect against infection, then the lie. But they do protect against hospitalization and death. That is absolutely not clear from the evidence. And what he continues to ignore is the the number of adverse events, the number of People who get very, very deathly ill, if not outright die, who were healthy before getting their shot. Their Moderna shot, their Pfizer shot, whatever. Because the numbers are staggering. And I'm going to talk about all of that with Stephen Mosier coming up in about a half an hour at 935. So Stephen Mosier at 935, Peter Kersenow at 1010. Then, of course, since it's Wednesday, you know, it's also Neil McCabe Day. Neil McCabe is our regular commentator from the Ohio Star uh, joins us on Wednesdays. He is going to talk to us about something that I spent a great deal of time on yesterday during the show and last night hosting the Brandon Tatum show. I played a lot of audio, including Joe Biden, telling the fairy tale of the 10-year-old pregnant rape victim who had to leave Ohio to go to Indiana to get uh, to get an abortion because here in Ohio, these heartless legislators, uh, because she was three days past six weeks, wouldn't give her an abortion even though she was raped by a family member. So an incestual rape of a child leading to a pregnancy, and Ohio would not do anything about it. You must carry that rape baby to term, is the story that Joe Biden and the media told. It's hogwash. All of it. Until somebody proves that it isn't, it is just all whole cloth woven fabrication. That's exactly what it was. And Neil McCabe will give us the latest on that. I talked last night on the Brandon Tatum show to um, 
Megan Fox, who is a reporter for PJ News, PJ Media, and she has done some yeoman's work on this. She has really researched well into uh, everything that we know about Dr. Caitlin Bernard from Indiana and that story. She's the one who claims that an Ohio child abuse doctor contacted her and said, you need to take care of this uh, this 10-year-old who can't get an abortion here. We have to send her to you to get an abortion there. The whole story reeks of manufactured nonsense. And so uh, Neil McCabe will talk about that. So there you have it. We're going to talk to Stephen Mosher, Peter Perkerson, and Neil McCabe. You can join us in between and before and after those interviews, and you can do so at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Now, before we get any, any further into the news of the day, let's uh, begin with our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one nearby. If you don't, close your eyes. You can envision one. If you are... A believer in the fairy tale. And if you are a believer in Maisie Hirono, crazy Maisie, Senator Hirono, who said, how can we really know what the founding fathers meant when none of us were around to talk with them at that time? How can we know what they meant when they wrote the Constitution? If you even give one scintilla of credibility to such a ridiculous, asinine remark, then you don't understand that Constitution, nor the flag that represents it. And all of us, you are as such exempted from this request to stand and pledge your allegiance. For the rest of us, how you can go and take a knee, by the way, next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. I uh, wish I was making that up. I'm having a little bit of an audio problem, so I can't play this for you at the moment. But um, Crazy Maisie, just to just to kind of lead it off with this, Crazy Maisie Hirono talking about guns literally said at a hearing yesterday, originalism of the justices who take that approach go all the way back to our founding fathers and pretend that they know what our founding fathers meant when they drafted the Constitution. I use the word pretend because who the heck was or should or would know what our founding fathers meant? She went on to say, is AR-15 anywhere in our Constitution? End quote. <laughs> um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the way we know what the founding fathers meant is because it's what they wrote. You embarrassingly stupid human being. They literally worked on the Constitution over the course of years. The Constitutional Convention. They argued. They debated. They wrote. They scratched it out. They rewrote. They, they discussed. They put all of the time that they needed to into getting it exactly the way they wanted it. How do we know what they meant We know what they meant because they wrote what they meant. And no, there was nothing about the Internet in the Constitution either. There was nothing about certain types of guns that we have today that they did not have then, which is why they didn't write the word musket. They wrote the words arms. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Whatever the arms happen to be at that time of, of, of history. 
They said literally that a well-regulated militia being necessary to defend against tyranny and even against your own government, that militia is a war-fighting organization made up of what? Non-military citizens. That's what a militia is. And yes, they would be given the same weapons. They have the right to the same weaponry that the enemy, the tyrannical government, potentially, or anyone else may have. They didn't say that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the defense of the people against a a tyranny, they didn't say that they get weapons of a lesser caliber than the ones that the military holds. They say that a well-regulated militia being necessary, uh, the, the right to keep and bear arms, will be uh, not be infringed. It's it, and of course I'm not quoting it exactly, but that is exactly what the message is. So no, they didn't quote AR-15s. They also didn't quote about to write anything about automobile emissions. They also didn't put anything in there about pandemics. They didn't put anything in there about mandated vaccinations either, because those things didn't exist at that time. But what they did do was they wrote and they considered through their brilliance as many possible future things as there could be and essentially saying if there is a doubt when in doubt the doubt uh, that you err on the side of liberty on the side of the people because the government doesn't rule the people the people decide who is in the government and that government represents them doesn't rule over them the people are in charge and that's ultimately what the constitution is all about and she literally says well why do we keep referring back to the founding fathers who knows what they really meant Goodness gracious, is there, um, you know, you have to take a civics test to become an American citizen. Is there a stupid test you have to be, you have to take to become a member of the uh, the United States Congress? Do you have, I mean, particularly if you have a D after, if you're registering as a Democrat and running as a Democrat and you win, do you have to take a test proving that you are as stupid and illiterate as people like Maisie Hirono really is? I mean, you, you kind of. You kind of you kind of have to be stupid to make things like that up and to say things like that out loud, you know. And and I and I put her next to people like former Senator Kamala Harris, and I put her you know next to to people like uh, uh, Eric Swalwell on the House side. I mean, people who just you, they're 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 fountains of stupid. It's like you turn on the spigot and the stupid just flows from their mouths. They don't stop to think. They don't stop to consider. They just say stupid things. It's remarkable. Anyway, we're going to react to uh, that. I've got a lot more to get into. They're having a day of mourning today in Akron. It's a day of mourning for a guy that shot at police officers and was shot back at and killed. I've got some thoughts on the day of mourning declared by the mayor of Akron. Um, you may be interested in. Stay here. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty four on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. 
uh, take a brief respite here to talk about how miserable all of our financial lives are. And I think the reason is because when I look at this report, I don't see any relief anywhere. We, even before we got to this 9.1%, there had been some sectors that were behaving a little bit better. I look at rents going up. I didn't see any relief in apparel. There was some hope, uh, folks, that maybe with the inventory that Courtney Reagan's been talking about at some of the department stores that you might see some relief in apparel. Not much there. That's CNBC Steve Lisman. No relief of inflation in sight anywhere. We are looking at 9.1%, a new 40-year high. Year over year, inflation has risen, the consumer price index, 9.1% year over year. This Bidenomics disaster is crippling and crushing the middle class, the same middle class that he claims he is uh, so in touch with, the same middle class that he claims uh, that he is uh, backing and supporting and trying to get the wealthy to pay their fair share. The middle class is being crushed by Bidenomics. The middle class is being crushed by Bidenflation. And he's in uh, Israel now, and he's being chased around, around by reporters who are asking him important questions like, why do, you, why do people in your own party think you suck so bad? He didn't like that. Listen. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they <laughs> Read don't. Read the polls. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no. 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Two-thirds of Democrats don't want this guy anywhere near the presidency. They don't want him not only to not run again in 2024. They don't want him there now. He's an embarrassment. He's a gaffe machine. He is completely in above his head. Uh, and even as he wandered over like the old man shuffling across the lawn there to, to, to you know continue a game of croquet to yell at this reporter, you should see this, how he looks. He just looks so old and slow and decrepit. And even Democrats can't stand this anymore because they know that his crushing of the middle class is going to crush their chances of holding on to power, not only in November in the midterms, but obviously uh, talking about whatever the, the situation will be in 2024. Now, let me go back to a local story as I, as I teased. Today is uh, apparently a day of, uh, of mourning. It's time to mourn in Akron, the mourning, the life of, uh, of Jalen Walker, a 25-year-old who died uh, in hell of bullets after shooting at cops. The mayor of Akron, Dan Horrigan, says that we need to mourn with Jalen Walker's family because, you know, uh, well, he's, he's dead. Well, I, it, it, I can't help but kind of wonder, well, what about the fact that he died because he was trying to kill police officers? What about the fact that he was being stopped for a simple routine equipment and traffic violation and he led police officers on a dangerous high-speed chase that could have killed other people? What about the fact that on that high-speed chase, he turned around and fired out of his driver's side window at cops? What about the fact that he then got out of that car and ran to also elude and evade cops? And when he finally stopped and turned around, he had his hand on his waistband rather than having his hands in, his air, in the air, indicating that he may be about to pull the same gun he fired at them just moments earlier again. What about the fact that the police officers have a duty and a responsibility that when they detect a threat, to use lethal force to put that down if necessary, and that is exactly what they did. Number of rounds notwithstanding, that is exactly what they did. And now, 
it's a day of mourning for the Jalen Walker family? Somebody explain to me how that works. And somebody explain this to me, too, just in the second, in a minute and a half that I have left here. I want you to play scenario game with me here, okay? I, I want you to try to imagine how this story would have played out had Jalen Walker done what most people would do in, in, a, in a situation of self-preservation and surrendered. What if he had stopped running, threw his hands into the air, and waited for a command? Waited to be told to put your hands behind your head and interlock your fingers. Waited to be told to get down on your knees. Waited to be told to get down on the ground. Waited to be handcuffed. What would the story be in Akron today? Well, we wouldn't be, wouldn't be have a mourning situation. Wouldn't have a day of mourning. Wouldn't have a funeral to be planned either. What would the coverage have been in the media? The coverage would have been very, very simple. Akron, 25-year-old thug, fires at cops charged with attempted murder. That's what would happen. But because he chose not to surrender and chose to instead spin around in a threatening manner with his hand in a place where the police officers who had just been shot at were very, very concerned, instead suddenly the cops have bounties on their heads. Did you hear that? Bounties have been placed on police officers' heads in Akron, according to Police Chief Steve Milet at a press briefing. He said he and Mayor Corrigan have both heard the threats. There have been threats against himself, Horgan said, his family, and his home. So all because one, I don't know what his problem was, we'll just say disturbed individual, angry individual, thuggish individual, I don't know, who shoots at cops, who's got a ski mask in the middle of summer while he's out driving uh, you know, with his, with his broken car. I mean, I don't know what his deal was, but what I do know is this, that because he chose to fire guns at cops, or fire a gun at cops, and then chose to, instead of surrender and wait for instructions, turn around and threaten the cops, now police officers are the ones under, under, uh, in serious jeopardy. They're the ones that are being threatened. And we're supposed to spend a day mourning this individual in the city of Akron. Sorry, not likely. All right, it's 9.30. We'll take our time out here for news. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what they are doing to us next with the pandemic. Dr. Fauci admits the shots don't work. The CDC says, too bad, get another booster, because the next subvariant is coming this fall, just in time for the elections. Stephen Mosher will join us next on AM 1420, The Answer. you from the depravity of the radical left always right radio with bob france on the answer 937 now always right radio on am 1420 the answer thanks for being with us on this wednesday don't forget curse now coming up on uh or at the uh, top of the hour at about 10 10 i know you're going to be looking forward to that because you missed your curse now fix yesterday i know i am because i did I missed it. I, uh, I enjoy cursing out each and every week. I learn a little bit more, so we're glad that he's going to step in on a day off or a day normally a, a non-radio uh, day for him. So cursing out at 1010. We're scheduled to talk with Stephen Mosher, who is uh, an author of the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics uh, here in just a moment. Hopefully we'll get him. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But uh, he's the president of the Population Research Institute, and he's got information and uh, evidence that 
the China flu that we have all just been enduring for the last two and a half years, the Wuhan flu or the China virus, whatever it is you want to call it, is not China's first foray, foray excuse me, into this entire thing. Uh, China has been responsible for no less than four pandemics. And this one, the fourth, COVID, is not going to be the last. This is something that Stephen Mosher covers in his book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Uh, it's obvious. It's out there in plain sight for people to see. The Chinese Communist Party has a long history of covering up epidemics within China and then pandemics globally. Um, and they have, uh, you know, they have essentially used germs and used disease and used viruses as a as a bioweapon. And that's something we should never doubt or even have a reason to to try to doubt because again we are talking about a communist party that is willing to slaughter people by the thousands which they're doing right now uh in terms of the uh in terms of the um uh the Muslims, the Chinese Muslims uh in that country. They are slaughtering them, the the Uyghur Muslims, they are uh, putting them in concentration camps. These are people that have no regard, talking about the Chinese communist leaders, not every person in China, of course, uh, and not every Chinese person that's around the world. This is the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese population. People should always be very clear about that. Uh, but but they are, they're literally inhumane. They're literally subhuman. They do not view the people that they experiment on and the people that they uh, commit these atrocities upon. They don't care that they're human. They don't believe that they're human. So the idea that what they have done is is you know going to be the end of it is is simply naive. That's what Stephen Mosher's contention is and we're hopefully going to get him on the air to talk about exactly what he means by that. Uh cuz I don't think they're going to stop either. Now having said all of that since we don't have uh Stephen Mosher as scheduled right now, I want to give you something else in which we talk about the inhumanity of it uh, of it all. Yesterday, and I, I, if I covered this on the uh, Brandon Tatum show last night, so if you heard it, I apologize for the redundancy, but if you didn't listen to uh, that last night, then this is fresh for you. Um, and a, bore, a Democrat witness in the abortion hearings yesterday that were held in the Senate Judiciary Committee, a prof- oh, okay, I'm going to have to abort that, uh, pardon that pun, uh, because we do have Stephen Mosher now after all. So let's go ahead and uh, get right back into the issue I was just discussing, just discussing as we welcome Stephen W. Mosher to the program. He is the president of the Population Research Institute and the author of the upcoming book a little bit later this month, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Stephen, good to have you on the program. How are you this morning? It's good to be here with you. Okay, so... Um, I was just kind of laying out some of what you wrote, uh, you know, you, you know, the excerpt uh, from the politically incorrect guide to pandemics that ran in the in the uh, New York Post and a couple of other things. Um, tell us about Chinese commun uh, the Chinese Communist Party's history with pandemics. You claim that this is the fourth they are responsible for, and that using viruses and germ warfare and bio uh, bioweaponry is uh, is something they have done for some time and will continue to do in the future. Well, it is, certainly. Uh, they took over the Japanese bioweapons facilities in Manchuria after the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. And they've been working on bioweapons ever since. Now, they got a lot more sophisticated uh, in the early years of this century, the 21st century. Why? Because we were funding uh, their research uh, through Dr. Anthony Fauci and his, you know, his Institute of uh, Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which has a six $6 billion budget every year. Some of that money was going indirectly to China, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. 
And, you know, Fauci may have thought he was funding noble scientific research to prevent a pandemic, but when the PLA bioweapons experts saw the technology and saw what they could do with it, they immediately thought of weaponizing it, and that's what they've been doing. They've been doing ever since. So it's our technology, uh, funded in part with our money, uh, being used to devise a bioweapon that was used against us. Is there any reason to believe that our doctors and our, you know, people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, the National Institute of Health, and others are ever going to be held accountable for their role in this? Because that, I mean, that's an accessory to to mass murder, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I agree with you, but, you know, two and a half years into the pandemic, if they haven't been held accountable so far, and my goodness, uh, Dr. Fauci was actually promoted uh, as soon as Joe Biden came into office. He's now uh, in the White House. He's no longer the, the head of the uh, an institute in, in the National Institutes of Health. He's in the White House himself advising the president on a, on a daily basis. So, yeah, he's been he's been rewarded. Uh, for his uh, his uh, mistakes. And, of course, uh, the People's Republic of China has not been punished for releasing a bioweapon on the world. They've not been punished for causing millions of deaths and trillions of dollars in economic damage. And, and my fear is that if they're, if they're not punished, if there is no demand for reparations, if the people who suffered from the China flu are not somehow compensated, uh, China will do it again because they came out of this in a stronger position, whereas the rest of the world, especially the West and the United States, came out of it in a much weaker position. Uh, why wouldn't they do it again? Uh, we are talking with Stephen Mosher. Uh, Stephen is the author of the upcoming book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. He's the president of the Population Research Institute. One more question on China before I talk about where this pandemic, this particular one, and the variants and subvariants are headed here, thanks to new rhetoric being advanced by the CDC and Dr. Fauci and others. Um, of course, China is not going to face any punishment. Of course, they're not going to face any international sanctions. Do they not essentially run the WHO, the same WHO, World Health Organization, whose leader, uh, Tedros, has declared that this pandemic, the one that we are still dealing with right now, is only going to get worse as, worse as the uh, uh, rest of this year goes on, telling us it is, uh, it is something that still has to be reckoned with. And the same man whom... Uh, we, as a part of another, you know, UN uh, contingent, uh, contingent of nations, uh, essentially gave unchecked unilateral power to decide what nations like ours do in the event of a global health emergency, as determined only by Tedros and the WHO itself. Yeah, uh, Dr. Tedros Cabrisis, uh from Ethiopia, which has received billions of dollars in aid from the Chinese Communist Party's Belt and Road Program, mm-hmm. is a proxy for China. He was supported uh, for the uh, position in the first place as the head of WHO by by the uh, Chinese government. And, of course, the Obama administration went along with it. And, of course, he's the guy who, in January of 2020, when the uh, outbreak was just beginning in Wuhan, I went to Beijing and talked to Xi Jinping, China's dictator, and came out smiling, saying, the Chinese have this well in hand. Uh, There's no human-to-human transmission. We don't need to worry about it becoming a pandemic. All of which, you know, every every single word uh, was a lie, of course. Uh, He was just repeating, parroting, if you will. He was parroting what he had been told by the Chinese Communist Party leader. So, no, I don't trust trust Dr. Uh, Tedros, uh, who's not a medical doctor at all, by the way. Uh, The World Health Organization has failed us. And uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why 
uh, the Biden administration decided to refund it after uh, Donald Trump did the right thing uh, uh, two years ago and cut off money to this organization, a health organization that uh, actually helped in various ways to spread a pandemic around the world. It's not an organization we should be funding it yet. Uh, we're funding it again. So um, there are no penalties for China. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, President Biden now talks about uh, lifting the tariffs that Trump put on China. There's no penalty for China for releasing fentanyl in the United States and killing 100,000 young Americans, and no penalty for releasing a pandemic on the world and on the United States. Let me ask you this. We're talking with Stephen W. Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, which is coming out a little bit later this month. That's a regnery book. Um, I want to know what role the pharmaceutical companies play in all of this. Are they just standing by and are the beneficiaries of what China is doing, what communist China is doing, releasing these pandemics on the world and saying, we're here to, uh, you know, to promote these, uh, these non-vaccine vaccines and we're just cleaning up. Are they just the beneficiaries of it and are collecting billions and billions of dollars selling things that are not actually, um, intended to inoculate people against infection? Uh, or are they part of this? Are they a bigger player in the, in the formation or the, um, you know, the release of this, this bioweapon on the world? Well, certainly they, they uh, profited mightily from the, uh, from the pandemic. I mean, $100 billion in profit last year for Pfizer and Moderna. And, of course, they have, they're a huge influence in Washington, D.C. I think the last count, Pfizer has 84 uh, well, well-paid lobbyists in Washington, D.C. There are almost as many Pfizer lobbyists as there are senators in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and they're busy going from office to office every day talking about the wonders of these, uh, these new mRNA vaccines. And then you've got, got Dr. Anthony Fauci, who was so enamored by the idea that we could take over the genetic machinery of human beings and use it to produce um, uh, protection against disease, that he's been trying and failing with these mRNA vaccines for the last 25 years. He's tried it on various diseases. He, he's failed every time. Uh, and, of course, he, he went down the same road uh, to produce a so-called vaccine, which is not a vaccine. It's experimental gene therapy. Uh tricking the body into accepting an artificial virus that, uh, that uh, the drug companies produced, which actually is a toxin and uh, causes all kinds of problems down the road. So it's profit. It's the fact that they've been uh, immunized. The drug companies have been immunized against the lawsuits. Uh, you can't sue them uh, for the harm that the vaccine, so-called, is causing people. Uh, why wouldn't they go into vaccine production in a, in a big, big way? Uh, this is just to repeat, you know, in the, in the book I talk about the, the swine flu hoax of uh, back in 1976 when a couple of people were diagnosed with what was thought to be a new swine flu. We inoculated 60 million people in this country against a non-existent virus. And then people started developing uh, Guillain-Barre disease and, and losing control of their muscles. And we stopped it after a few hundred cases were reported. Well, we've had uh, hundreds of thousands of cases of adverse medical consequences from these so-called vaccines, this experimental gene therapy, and, and we're still, the government is still promoting uh, the vaccine. So what does that tell you about how corrupt uh, the American medical establishment, the big pharmaceutical companies, and, and uh, our politicians are in this age? Well, even as they push these new boosters, I mean, Moderna is out there right now saying their new booster is more effective targeting yeah. the now-dominant BA5 variant. Dr. Yeah. Fauci is saying, get your third booster now, get your fourth one in the fall. They're pushing these things, and you know, Stephen, it, um, 
what I don't understand is what, where the media is in all of this. You just mentioned hundreds of thousands of adverse events, many of them very, very serious, from uh, from you know palsies to strokes to cardiac issues. You know, uh, um, uh, trying to remember the terminology for the uh, heart conditions for younger, healthy people that are getting the uh, yeah myocarditis, myocarditis and pericarditis. Thank you. Yeah. Those are the ones. So I mean, I mean, we're aware of these things, and the media is essentially pretending they're not happening. They continue to promote the quote safe and effective government-sponsored uh, uh, vaccinations, which, are, of course, are non-vaccinations. But but why is it that uh, they are all in bed in this, between Big Pharma, between China, between the WHO, between the NIH and the CDC, and the national media? It's as if they're all conspiring and coordinating and colluding together. Uh, in fact, I don't know if they're, they're, they're coordinating together, but they're certainly working to the same end. Yeah. Uh, China spends millions and millions of dollars on advertising in the Washington Post, New York Times, and other other uh, newspapers throughout the country. The big pharma, of course, spends hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising their uh, their uh, their drugs in the newspapers and, and on the major uh, you know broadcast media. And then, of course, you've got the Biden administration. I don't know how much money. We may never know how much money the Biden administration has actually spent uh, telling uh, companies uh, like the New York Times and the Washington Post that they must not uh, encourage uh, vaccine hesitancy. So there's been huge amounts of money poured in from multiple sources uh, to to try to convince us to to take these experimental uh, gene therapies, so-called vaccines. And uh, what the other side is not able to get a word. I've, I have actually written articles that have been rejected by editors because they say we don't want to encourage vaccine hesitancy. Unbelievable. But in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm telling everyone to be hesitant because this is an experimental vaccine. The side effects are mounting. I have a son who was only allowed to graduate from one of our uh, uh, military academies uh, at, at, if he accepted uh, the vaccine and he had heart problems subsequently. So uh, it, it has personally affected us. I know people in my circle of friends uh, who had the vaccine. A, one woman in her 80s had the vaccine, died the next day suddenly. So I'm aware of I'm aware personally in my circle of friends of people who suffered adverse effects. So I think there's a lot more out there that the media isn't reporting. I'm glad that we're talking about it today because we, we have to uh, alert people to the fact that uh, this this causes lots of adverse medical consequences. And if I can tell the story of the, of the Spanish flu briefly, 1918, 1919, 40, 50 million people died around the world. And then the Spanish flu disappeared. But it didn't. It mutated. And we had variants. In the years following, we're still most of the seasonal flu that we have every year are descendants of the Spanish flu. Why don't they kill 40 or 50 million people? Because it's a very stupid virus that kills its host. Viruses become less deadly over time because they want to propagate, because they want to produce little viruses. And so the most deadliest strains are at the beginning of a pandemic, and then they become progressively less deadly over time. So we're still dealing with the sons and daughters of the Spanish flu today, although it's just the seasonal flu. That's what's happening to COVID. That's what we need to remind ourselves about the coronavirus. This is now a seasonal flu. The variants are going to be less and less serious over time, and we're just going to have to learn to live with it. Uh, This idea of getting a booster every year, 
is, is nonsense. Well, unless they do what they do with the flu shots, and that is make it just recommended or, or you know, completely optional. The idea that this is mandated in any way, shape, or form is the, is the real issue here because that, that makes us question the agenda. We are not forced yes. to get flu shots. Most of us, maybe people in the medical professions working in hospital settings and congregate settings, they are forced, but the vast population is not mandated to get flu shots. You can choose to do that if you wish. And uh, ultimately, I, I, I would hope that is what happens with the uh, long-term uh, COVID response. Stephen W. Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute, author of the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, which is coming out on Regnery. I assume it's available for pre-order? It is, yes, uh, or available from us at pop.org, Population Research Institute's website, and I will be glad to send people a signed copy. That's pop.org. Perfect. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for the time and the work you're putting into this. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, it's uh, 9.55. Take a quick time out. Right back, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two is underway on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, Woo! The Answer. Yeah, how about that? A little, uh, little nature boy there for you. It is a Wednesday, the 13th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. An odd time for me to introduce this guy, because he is normally our regular Tuesday guest and has been for the last several years. And, of course, I speak of our very own Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, best-selling author, uh, Cleveland attorney, sometimes uh, law professor, uh, sometimes columnist, and, of course, also does the Kersenow report for us here on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Pete, 9.1%. And I think the reason is because when I look at this report, I don't see any relief anywhere. We, even before we got to this 9.1%, there had been some sectors that were behaving a little bit better. I look at rents going up. I didn't see any relief in apparel. There was some hope, uh, folks, that maybe with the inventory that Courtney Reagan's been talking about at some of the department stores that you might see some relief in apparel. Not much there. CNN saying no relief in inflation anywhere. A new 40-year high, 9.1%. Pete, how's that grab you to start the day? Yeah, not well. I think it affects everybody. You know, people on fixed incomes especially, it's a real challenge. Young people, old people, it doesn't matter who you are. Inflation is one of the most pernicious developments in, in a free society. And uh, the Democrats especially are apoplectic about this because, let's face it, they don't have anything to sell with Joe Biden. All they had for four years was an attack on Donald Trump, but they didn't have an alternate vision, and they ran this individual, Joe Biden, against him. And uh, the only explanation they've got, you know, it was just simply an anti-Trump vote because, you know, they had the media on their side and the media completely corrupted themselves and um, besmirched their reputations to the extent it could be, be further besmirched and carried the water for Biden. But this is the kind of thing that the media cannot cover up. The media cannot distort. 
People feel it every single day, and that's why I think if you just look around, you can hear Democrats squealing because this is going to cause a major problem for them in the next couple of elections because there's no sign that this is going to go away anytime soon, and their policy prescriptions are directly related to this. I mean, you could take a straight line from every diff- everything that Biden has done and show where it's affected some aspect of our economy in a way that's produced inflation. Yeah, but Pete, um, those aren't those aren't his policies. The, this is a Putin price hike. Remember, this is a Putin price. <laughs> well, no, it's the Putin price hike, and it's the gas station owners, and it's the oil companies, and it's the minority Republicans, the Republicans who have no power in the House, no power in the Senate, no power in the White House to do anything. He has blamed each one of those individual organizations for inflation, for energy uh, prices, and now he's in denial. When he uh, when he's asked about why even Democrats have turned against him, listen to how angry he gets. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two thirds say they Read don't. Read the polls. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92 percent of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no. 2024. 92 percent said if I did, they'd vote for me. <laughs> Repeat the line. Yeah, you yeah, better repeat the line there, uh, Joe. Uh, Pete, what do you make of that? Well, it's not a surprise because he has been lying and delusional for his, not just during the presidency. Again, let me back up for your audience. And your audience knows I don't take pleasure in using terms like that in dealing with public officials. Um but it's the most accurate description. I don't want to be, you know, uh, pernicious acting in any kind of adversarial fashion just for the sake of being partisan. I, I, that's not the point. The point is to make some logical sense of what's going on. But with, uh, with Mr. Brandon here, we have known when he was a senator that he was not up to the job of being a senator. He was a buffoon. He was a blowhard. That hasn't changed. But now we have you know, advancing dementia as uh, a compounding factor. He, is, he and his administration. And and let's talk about that administration. Look at his cabinet members. Look at the sub-cabinet members. These are a collection of mediocrities. Again, that is probably the most accurate description I, I can give, even though it sounds partisan. It is an accurate description. And these individuals are developing policies that I believe are intentionally designed to get us to where we are right now. They don't necessarily care I don't want to say that in a flippant fashion, but they don't necessarily care about the harms visited upon their fellow Americans because they have a vision of the United States of America and their strategy is to transform it. They they want to complete Barack Obama's fundamental transformation of America. We should have believed him when he talked about that. And you look around the administration, all these people are Obama retreads. Brandon's not running the show. We know that. You just played or you just talked about, you know, his uh, reading from the teleprompter where he just reads, you know, precisely what's written there, including punctuation and editorial comment. The, the, if you look at the staff in the White House, many of those folks are old Obama folks. I know some of them because they, some of them were, you know, in different positions in which I held, like in the Civil Rights Commission or other uh, places where I would interact with them. So that's what they're doing. They're doing it in they're doing very fast, very, very quickly when you look at what's happening with the border, with oil production or lack of oil production, with foreign policy. It's uh, the, the green energy plan. We, we got the Green New Deal, frankly. And 
every single one of those policies is making life more difficult, making America weaker, is undermining the social fabric of America and the very foundational principles of America. We're turning into another country. That's not an exaggeration. No, it's not. We are changing from where we were before and all for the worse. So I ask my fellow Americans, do you want more of this? Well, Because this is precisely what we're going to get. Peter, you know, um, when you say we're we're an entirely different country, that was the goal from the beginning. You know, we yeah. talked, we've talked about this for years now, since before Barack Obama actually became president. Talked about wanting to fundamentally transform the country. He was given eight years to take great steps toward that, and he did. Uh, there was a temporary hiccup for four years of the Trump presidency, but now Biden is continuing in that thing. Listen, they don't want us to be the same country. They don't want us to have a strong, vibrant capitalist economy. If it takes crashing our capitalist economy to institute their Green New Deal, socialist Marxist dreams to transform this country into something else in which the government has the power rather than the people over the government, then that's exactly what they will do. This is, I mean, you know, this should be a surprise to no one if you've been paying attention, especially when, you know, the old adage goes, when somebody tells you who they are, you better believe them. And they told us what they were going to do. They told us who they were, and they're, and they're acting out on it. Right. You're exactly right. Some of us, and I'm included, were kind of slow to believe that. You know, it finally dawned on me during the Obama administration. I mean, I saw it. I remember reading a lot of people that I respected warning of this, that they actually meant, well, Rush Limbaugh used to say it, for example, that uh, they meant what they say. And what they said was so far-fetched in our estimation, it was so detached from the uh, traditional vision of America and our founding principles and freedoms that we thought, well, nobody can be serious about this. Well, they've demonstrated over the last couple of decades, but more in a more accelerated fashion over the last, say, 12 years, that they sure mean this, and they mean it to the extent of being outright Marxists. In I mean, that's the only way you can describe it. The Democratic Party is not your father's or grandfather's Democratic Party anymore. It is a socialist party, and with all of the trimmings that come along with it, and those trimmings are all negative. Every single one of them, history shows that, but unfortunately, they've also captured most of our institutions, which was part of the plan, and one of the major institutions that's lock, stop, stock, and barrel aligned with them is our educational establishment, so we're not even getting true history. I'm old enough now so that I can fact-check just based on my own experience. I don't have to read books. And I remember what happened, say, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, and so I know when they're saying certain things that it's completely wrong because I was there. I was right there. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a proposition that is that they are transforming America in a way that's going to visit extraordinary harm and, and distress on ordinary Americans, that we have to take this extremely seriously, fight back immediately. We've been saying that for a long time, but folks, it's time to man the ramparts. Yeah, there's serious stuff. And, uh, you know, as you know, Larry's not around to say too much anymore, but uh, we've got a country to save. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, um, you know, the the part that really stands out to me is you talk about they're changing our history. They're changing our history. They're changing mathematics. They're changing biology, literally day by day. Almost everything that used to be true is now up in, uh, for debate, and, and it's a discussion depending on how you feel about it. And we're going to talk more about that coming up here in just a moment because there was a huge, huge showdown between Senator Josh Hawley and a professor from Cal Berkeley yesterday in this House, or excuse me, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing that I want to make you aware of. I want to get your reaction to. So we'll continue with that coming up uh, after this short time out with Peter Kirsten. 
Okay, 1022 now. We continue with Peter Kirsten now on this Wednesday edition of Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. If you go there, you're going to see several of these stories and several of these videos. Peter, I want to talk about um, the changing of biology in the minds of the far left. And sadly, they are becoming the mainstream left. The far left, the extremists, are taking over the party. I'm going to give you two clips from yesterday's uh, uh, Senate Judiciary hearing in which uh, the issues of of abortion and privacy were being discussed. And Senator John Cornyn got first crack at uh, this professor from Cal Berkeley, Professor Bridges. She is a law professor, and she is a professor of, I think it was social family justice, something in in that vein. At any rate, listen to this part, and then we'll hear from um, Josh Hawley as well. Lead lives that are filled with dignity and humanity. And to your your way of thinking, that happens when more black babies are aborted. I believe, I trust, I love black people with the capacity for pregnancy. I think they have agency, they have intelligence, they know what is best for themselves, and I would love to create the conditions under which they can live lives that are filled with dignity and humanity. And do you think a, do you think a, a baby that is delivered alive has value? Yes. Do you think that a, um, a, a baby that is not yet born has value? I believe that a person with a capacity for pregnancy has value. They have intelligence. They have agency. They no, have I'm dignity. talking about the baby. And I'm talking about the person with a capacity for and pregnancy. And you're not answering the question. I'm asking a more interesting you question that, to Do you me. think that the baby that is not yet born, let's say the day before this mother delivers, do you think that baby has value? I think that the person with a capacity for pregnancy has value and they have... She doesn't want to say it out loud, Pete. She doesn't want to say no. No, that baby, until it passes through that canal, it, it has no value. It has no rights. It has no, um, you know, uh, it has nothing that we should be, we should be concerned about protecting because this is a mother's body and that's all that matters. She didn't want to say it out loud. Cornyn nailed her. She knew it. She couldn't answer. So she went back to her standard line. And that was, uh, I believe that a person that has the capacity for pregnancy has value. She totally changed the question. Now, it's because of that line that Josh Hawley came in. And, Pete, this is what I really want you to respond to. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Maskey, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's, uh, it's We can it's recognize what? that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning because we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm denying that trans people exist by asking you you if you're talking about women. Are you having pregnancies? Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? 
No, I don't think women can get <laughs> So you're denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence? Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Or- Pete, that's a lot, um, but I think it it's is. very direct, um, and I want you to take it. Yeah, we can talk about it, that for several hours, frankly. Um, you know, this is not uncommon, unfortunately, in our academic institutions. There's so much to say about this. The first thing I would say is that it is a, an integral part of the leftist agenda to deny reality and alter the language. It is imperative that they do so. Bob, you and I were at, uh, you know, Bring America Back to Life, where I talked a little bit about this. That is, that they try to change the language so they can get you to say or acknowledge almost anything, such as socialism is good. Uh, There was the Star Trek episode that I made reference to where they have John Luke Picard's been captured by aliens, and they're trying to get him to say that there are uh, five lights, when there are only actually four lights. They're trying to break him. If they can get him to say five lights, he's broken. He's mentally broken. He'll accept almost any absurd proposition. And that's what you hear from this professor. Denying reality in what's really frightening is, and it's flat-out frightening, is this is at law school. Hopefully that by that time, individuals in law school are sufficiently mentally armed where they can resist the kind of absurdity that they're getting from this ridiculous professor. But this is happening K through 12. It's happening in in undergrad and it's happening in law schools and frighteningly more and more in medical schools now. This will have inarguably negative consequences, and that's putting it mildly throughout society, but we cannot let them alter the plain meaning of language, alter reality, otherwise game over. Too late, is, Pete, though. It's, it's too late. First of all, everything you just said is obviously spot on, but I would also go on to say this is not just in medical schools and the other things you just described. It's in elementary schools. It's in yes, primary it schools. And if you do what Josh Hawley just did, you are going to be treated the way Josh Hawley is being treated. The headlines everywhere are that Josh Hawley is transphobic, that Josh Hawley refuses, the Washington Post, Hawley refuses to acknowledge that some transgender men can get pregnant. He is the one that is being uh, condemned, criticized, and and eventually, uh, ultimately, they'll attempt to cancel him for refusing to acknowledge this pseudoscience that men can get pregnant. And and if Josh Hawley can be treated that way, again, so can little Johnny in fourth grade who says mommies get pregnant, not daddies. That kid's in trouble, Pete. We've lost that argument already, even though we have the facts on our side. I dispute that, Bob. I don't think we've lost. We are losing. Okay, fair enough. Then- Okay, yeah, I I agree with you on that. We are losing, there's no doubt about it, because they've captured all of our major institutions. This is the zeitgeist we're living in right now, but each one of us has a responsibility. Yes, a responsibility to push back with goodwill, but push back hard and resist this kind of nonsense. Otherwise, we lose everything. We won't be losing. We will have lost, as you've indicated. And it's getting close, folks. It's getting very, very close. I see it in every institution. I see it in places where you never thought it would happen. Medicine is one of them, where we have medical schools that are, are medical schools that are not acknowledging science anymore. 
The language is being changed so that they can, it basically it's a, a change of language to promote lies so that it appears to be true based on the language that's being utilized. The, the most pernicious thing is the corruption of, as you indicated, K through 12. You and I have been on panels dealing with, among other things, critical race theory and all other forms of lies. Mm-hmm. It, we, we have to, every single one of us, I would say, you know, um, very charitably, frankly, and very humbly, every single one of us has a responsibility to push back every single time we see this. And because your audience is mainly conservative to moderate, they're going to do so in a polite fashion. And you can do so. You can pick the and choose your, your language. Uh, I would suggest not to be overly aggressive in your language choices, but nonetheless aggressive in your motive, because this is the fight of the century. Yeah, and that's why you are an accomplished attorney, and I'm just a talk show host, because I will be aggressive in my language as well. 99% of these trans people are attention getters and nothing more. They are doing this for trends, trending, uh, to be trending. They're doing it for likes. They're doing it for, for retweets. They're doing it for shares. Uh, less than 1% of these people actually have the psychological condition known as gender dysphoria. The rest of them are attention getters. They're freaks by choice, not by sickness. They're by choice and asking us or demanding that we engage and, 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 and indulge them in their fantasies for their intention getting motives is something that I simply will not abide by. So I will be aggressive in my language because that's what they really are. Pete, we'll come right back after the news. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Online at alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it out there. Make sure you leave a message for me on the sound off button. Just click sound off, put in your name, click record, use your computer or phone microphone to record a message for me. Push send and it comes my way. Shows up on my screen. I play it on the radio. I'll react and uh, give you uh, answers to your questions. This is, of course, the alternative to waiting on hold for a very long time, especially when we have compelling guests like Peter Kersenow on the line with us. Peter, I want to combine uh, next three topics. Um, they're all interrelated, and you and I have talked about them in some depth, and I want to get your response to something here. And I'm talking about guns, I'm talking about violence, and I'm talking about policing. All of them are on the uh, table right now. Senator Crazy Maisie Hirono who I think really is pushing. She, I mean, she does. She pushes for that title of dumbest uh, member of the United States Senate or There's dumbest member of Congress. There's a lot of competition, Bob, and you and I have talked about him. You know, you've yeah. got Sheila Jackson Lee. You've got Maxine Waters. But I, I, I'll grant you, Crazy Maisie, she's, it, you know what, um, for today, I will grant that she's the dumbest member of Congress. She gets the, she gets the nod today. Uh, she very well may, particularly because of this comment. So uh, she was uh, addressing, I am assuming she was dress, uh, addressing a panel uh, on on uh, gun issues and gun control because of what she said here. But I want to play it. It's only 25 seconds long. But give this a listen, and then we'll respond. Originalism, they, uh, the justices who take that approach go all the way back to our founding fathers and pretend that they know what our founding fathers meant when they drafted the Constitution. I use the word pretend because who the heck would, should, would, would know 
what our founding fathers meant. Um, is there any reference to AR-15 rifles in our Constitution? No. Is Delaware in the house? <laughs> I don't know where that last part came from, but Peter... Who would know what the Founding Fathers meant when they drafted the Constitution yeah, other know? than maybe, I don't know, reading what they wrote when they drafted yeah, they the Constitution? Wouldn't that kind yeah. of be a pretty good indicator of what they meant? They wrote what they wanted to write? Yeah, I mean, you know, she's completely oblivious to this. And Maisie, unfortunately, is not alone in this. Uh, there are a number of other members of Congress. But unfortunately, you know, as you and I talk about all the time, our educational establishment is not instructing our kids as to what's going on with or what went on in history. They're revising history. How do we know this? Well, as you indicated, the founding fathers were not only geniuses, and they truly were. When you think about what they created out of nothing, a new governmental system, it's extraordinary. But they wrote, wrote prolifically about their intentions. They debated it. The best place to look as just an initial proposition is the Federalist Papers, of course, a copy of which I have you know, on my desk along, on my credenza along with a copy of the Constitution. And I guarantee you that Maisie Hirono has never read the Federalist Papers, <laughs> guaranteed. Uh, but there's a whole host of other contemporaneous documents that you can look to. There are histories, real histories, that were written about this before you got the Howard Zins of the world to try to you know, corrupt and distort things so that they could impose their agenda on us. And what I've just said, these last statements, 40 years ago would be considered you know, John Birch type of territory, but they are accurate. And Maisie Hirono... And much of the left deny history, but because to acknowledge history and the lessons of mankind would be to put the kibosh on their agenda, because it's clear their agenda cannot work. But their agenda is, of course, to eliminate entirely the Second Amendment. They are now in a position where they're doing everything they can to limit and um, uh, uh, you know, confiscate weapon or, or weapons. And not only that, you know, they got smarter about 10 years ago and started limiting ammunition. You know, for a while there, you couldn't get, you know, heck, every once in a while, those of us who just like to shoot, uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, a couple of my clients are uh, armors and they, you know, make uh, ammunition. Uh, but getting, you know, 9mm uh, 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 caliber uh, cartridges and other uh, uh, cartridges was getting difficult during the Obama administration, and they're revisiting that approach now again. So, uh, yeah, Maisie, sorry. Uh, we have a right to bear arms. It is a God-given right. The Second Amendment only shows what the government can't do, you know, and the Founding Fathers knew that intuitively. They had just gotten finished fighting a war. Okay, Maisie, if you can't read history, just acknowledge that they just got finished fighting a war and they used their own weapons to do so. Yeah, that is uh, that is very well said. And by the way, since you mentioned a couple of armors, I would like to remind everybody that there are still two tremendous deals left for the Parma Armory online right now at whkradio.com and our Summer Seals Blazing Deals. Um, the annual family membership for firearms and archery at the Parma Armory Shooting Center was $800. There are two left at $299. $299. I've been uh, meaning to tell people about this anyway on our Northeast Ohio Deals 
on our webpage at whkradio.com. But there you go. That's a great armory, and that is a phenomenal deal for the entire family. $800 marked down to two ninety nine. but there's only two of those left. Pete, the other part, I told you I wanted to bl- blend three things together here, uh, is crime and, uh, and, and policing. And th- I haven't asked you about Alvin Bragg and what he, yeah. did, what he did in New York City in Manhattan to that bodega owner who, of course, was attacked by a uh, wild woman and a wild man um, who came in. And she, you know, just for people who don't know the story, she didn't have enough money on her EBT card to get a bag of chips. She got livid. He wouldn't give them to her. Uh, And so she went outside and got her boyfriend who came in. And according to, I think Tucker said, it was a $350 designer shirt. He's wearing a $350 shirt. She's got her EBT card and can't get chips on it. So he comes in, instead of taking the money he clearly has and buying the chips for her, attacks the bodega owner. The bodega owner uh, stabs him in self-defense. Alvin Bragg, who is one of these George Soros prosecutors like Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, who was recalled, George Gascon, um, he decides that... He's going to break from his traditional policy of no cash bails and institute a massive cash bail for this bodega owner who defended himself, sent him to Rikers before a judge finally said, this is ridiculous, lowered his bail to 50000 He posted 10% of that and got out. But Peter, why does it seem as though criminals are being given uh, you know the 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 all of the breaks, and that victims are essentially not the concern of of government anymore, and not the concern of our criminal justice system. Victims are being sold out, and I want you to tie that. And it's a, it's a loose tie, but a criminal took shots at police officers in Akron about a week yeah. and a half ago, um, and when he when he was caught, instead of surrendering. And putting his hands in the air and waiting to be told to get on the ground, he instead turns around with his hand on his waistband and gets lit up. And now they're having a day of mourning for the criminal, while police officers in Akron, Ohio, are saying that they are getting death threats. They and their family, including the mayor and the chief, by the way, are getting death threats. Again, we're celebrating the criminal, and we are attacking the police officers. Victims are, are you know, in the bodegas incident, victims are essentially um, not the concern of the criminal justice system anymore. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, would, I would ascribe it to several different things, but one that we can't avoid, and people don't like, and, you know, I, I sometimes I'm reluctant to use these kinds of stark terms, but we are now in the embrace of evil. That's what we're seeing right now. There's evil that is spreading throughout the land, and, you know, I know that it's not sophisticated to say that, and that the erudite and intelligentsia would never speak in such terms, but it's the most accurate way of describing things. Now, let's take that evil and put it into policy, and that's precisely what these progressives are doing. Everybody from you mentioned them, Larry Krasner to you know Kim Fox, Gascon, Boudin, Alvin Bragg. These prosecutors, and it's not just Soros prosecutors, but it's prosecutors who've come up through a critical race prism in, law, in college and law schools, who believe that this is an evil society. They believe the society is evil, that the United States is the greatest evil that ever existed in the world, and that uh, because of the class struggles of criminals, they need to rectify what the hegemony is and put criminals and the underclass on top because the only reasons they're, they're criminals in the underclass is because, of course, white supremacists and others have kept them down. <laughs> of course. Um, this is the craziest thing we've seen. I think your audience doesn't require me to tell them what it's all about. We have seen this kind of nuttiness going on, and it can't, it, it can't continue for very long. It's been going on now, at least in stark fashion, 
for several years um, and probably accelerated during the Obama administration. And now, right now, it's just completely out of control. But if it continues for much longer, the society is going to fall apart. Now, those who talk about the Cloward Piven strategy, that is the strategy of imploding the, all the structures of the country so that you can resurrect the country with a socialist superstructure. All right. Um, and I don't know if everybody is consciously thinking along those lines. That is the prosecutors and others in the law enforcement establishment who you know, let the criminals go and punish the law abiding. By the way, um, the girlfriend of the guy who stabbed the bodega owner, as you probably saw in the video, yeah. pulled out a knife herself and she wasn't charged. She stabbed this guy. She's not charged. The guy acting in self-defense, the elderly man, gets charged. Everything is upside down. Peter, am I, am, I, am I leaping to a conclusion here that the race of the two perpetrators um, you know, drives the decision here? Again, this, this, this belief in, 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 in equity in the criminal justice system, uh, the fact that these I two... It, I think it probably does. I don't know that it does in every single case, but I think no, it in probably the, in does. No, just in this bodega in, case. In this yeah, I, case, I, these two individuals were not charged. Well, the one is dead, but the, 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 the girl or the woman is not charged, and the self-defensive elderly bodega owner is charged. I, I cannot yeah. help but think that this has to do with race. It may, but the bodega owner was Hispanic. How, you know, who knows? And you know what? I do think that in many cases it's a contributing factor. I don't know if in this discrete case it is, but I know this. It was wrong, absurd, insane to do this. This is craziness on steroids, and this is not an isolated incident. We hear about certain incidences mainly because they're on video, so the, you know, there's a story that can be described uh, without having to do a whole lot of, of you know, legwork on the part of the media. So we see this kind of thing. But going back to Akron, I, I, I'll admit, I didn't get in until about 1 o'clock last night. The flight was delayed because of weather, so I didn't get uh, to see much of it. But this morning I caught a little bit of the news that showed um, uh, with respect to the, the Akron incident, uh, I think I was watching one of the local programs and the news anchors on the local program, I won't mention who they are, I don't even remember who they are, frankly, um, were acting as if, I, I guess there's going to be some kind of memorial to the person who was shot. Now, I don't want anybody to be killed, but I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute, did I miss something? Um, this person was being chased and shot at cops, to best of my recollection. Am I missing something? He, no, he was pulled over for a routine traffic and equipment violation, t- taillight out or something else didn't work or whatever it was. He led them on a high-speed chase, turned and shot out of the passenger, or driver's side window, rather, during that chase, eventually slowed his car to the point where he could jump out uh, of the passenger side, by the way, and run. Had the time, by the way, to grab and put on a ski mask that for some reason he had in the middle of J- uh, late June uh, in, in, in Ohio in, in an 80-plus 80, 80 degree weather. So he put, throws on a ski mask and runs, and then is pursued by those officers on foot, and instead of stopping, putting his hands in the air, he spins around with his hand on his waistband, and the cops, yeah. after having already been shot at, were not about to get shot at again. That's that's great, the that's the great crux of it. great summary, and that was kind of my understanding of it. But I didn't know the detail that you did. But I had a sense of that based on the reports that I had seen, and what I saw, what what, what just was astonishing to me, is the local. I won't mention the names, but the local news anchors were acting as if the cops were guilty 
of just outright assassinating this individual. They had mournful looks on their faces. They were acting as if this, and what they did is, and again, look, I'm waiting to see all the evidence, but I've heard a lot of it based on, you know, just what your description was right now, which confirms what I had heard. But they had a, a photo of the deceased. I don't want anybody to be dead, but the photo was remarkable to me because it reminded me of the Trayvon Martin photo where they showed somebody who was young and vibrant and looked very innocent. Uh, And Trayvon Martin was anything but that. And what you described with respect to this individual, it's assumption of the risk. You pull out a gun on a cop, you're going to get, there's a good chance that guy's going to fire back. And if there are many cops, there's a good chance all of them are going to fire back. And all of this, the domino effect of all of this is to increase more crime, disrespect for cops. There's a video online, I, I commend it to your, uh, your audience if they can stomach this, of little kids. I'm talking about kids in diapers and up to four years old using the most vile language against cops. It's an amazing thing to see. And what will happen when those kids grow up is they're going to be involved in confrontations with cops and they're going to get their And I'm saying that mildly because they don't have any respect for authority, no respect for the law. These are the natural consequences of that kind of attitude. It's going to go on and on. And that's what's occurring right now. We're seeing it at the very, uh, you know, like little kids. We're seeing it in media. We're seeing it in education. The wrong lessons are being taught. Bad is good. You know, up is down. This is, we can't continue to go along in this framework for very long. And one of the most immediate tangible effects is a companion uh, news piece that I saw this morning while I'm getting ready to come down to work is that the Cleveland police can't find enough individuals to staff the department. They are at a, at a, I don't know if it's a record low, but close to it. And that's similar to other police departments across the country for a lot of reasons, morale reasons, you name it. Cops are either retiring or not joining or potential cops not joining the force. And who would when you do your job and you're subjected to all kinds of, you know, abuse, and you could lose your job, you could lose your freedom and go to jail, you are constantly under suspicion, you're doing one of the toughest, if not the toughest job out there, and yet you are underpaid compared to these other useless folks out here, and you know, you get nothing for it, except abuse and risking your neck every single day. You don't know if you're going to come home to your family. Are all cops good? No. But you know what? It takes a special person to put on that uniform every single day, put on that weapon, get in that patrol car or man the streets and put their lives at risk for their fellow man at low pay. And these guys deserve more pay. There are a couple of bad cops, but you know what? There are a lot of bad lawyers, a lot of bad doctors and everything else. Major league consequences for a bad cop, those opposed to a bad garbage hauler. But nonetheless, these guys are doing something that's on an elevated level. You and I have talked about this a lot of times, Bob. Right now, I'm sitting in an office. It's air-conditioned. I've, the heaviest thing I have to pick up is my phone receiver. I don't have to make split-second decisions that could alter a life or a community. I get to deliberate. I get to think. And yet, I'm sitting in judgment of a guy like this, and then the media has to tell me that guys like the, 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 the guy in New York or others are heroes or have been subjected to some kind of uh, oppression so their, their uh, re- actions are justified, give me a break. We could talk about this for hours and hours, Bob. This is not just a pet peeve of mine. I guarantee you, your studio, you know your audience better than I do. They are sick and tired of this. This is not the America we signed up for. This is not the America that our forefathers created. This is not an America that can persist for that much longer if we go down this insane path any longer. 
Peter, you're right. I do know my audience, and I know exactly what they wanted to hear, and you just delivered it, and I appreciate that very much. Peter Kersenow, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bob. All right. It is uh, 1056, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget Neil McCabe coming up after the top of the next hour, our regular Wednesday commentator from the Ohio Star. And we'll have time for your phone calls. I'll, I'll work them in, I promise. 216-901-0945. Right back. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. It's 11 minutes past 11 o'clock on a Wednesday, the 13th morning of the seventh month, year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. Terrific conversation, as always. He really, really laid it out, particularly on the policing issue last segment. If you missed that, check it out. AlwaysRightRadio.us. It'll be there. WHKRadio.com. It'll be there. So make sure you check that out. Always, I'm sorry, it's AlwaysRight.us, not AlwaysRightRadio. AlwaysRight.us. Check those out. We had a really great conversation on the first hour of the broadcast with Stephen Mosher, uh, who is the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. He has so much truth to tell. He gave us just a taste of it in our 15-minute conversation. We're going to have that one isolated up for you by itself uh, on the webpage at AlwaysRight.us so that you can listen to it and share it. It is a ton of important information, particularly as the uh, CDC, the NIH, the Biden administration continues to try to push the propaganda of COVID on us, telling us that a massive wave is on its way just in time for the midterm elections this fall. So uh, you're going to want to hear that conversation. For now, as we move forward, let's welcome our regular Wednesday commentator. He is a reporter extraordinaire for the Ohio Star. He is Neil McCabe. Neil, good to have you back on the program. How are you this morning? Hey, fantastic, Bob. I, I have to tell you, every time I hear uh, that clip from A Time for Choosing, I think about different parts of it. And, uh, you know, when Reagan says, you know, should the patriots have thrown down their guns, I immediately was thinking about, you know, the 1920 police officers armed to the teeth and full battle rattle running away from that gunman at Uvalde and, you know, just waiting more than an hour to do basically doing nothing as people are, people are bleeding out. And, uh, you know, it's, believe me, it's not what I think about when I think about people, law enforcement in Texas. And it just sort of tells you the, the sort of the rot and the corruption that we're dealing with all over the country. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful for that clip every time you play it. Well, you went and went, got all serious on me now because I was going to ask you what flavor taco you were. 
Uh, but uh, <laughs> so I can't do that. Um, so I'm going to have to to address what you just said. After the Uvalde situation happened, Neil, and this is just something I've been needing to say anyway, so I'll just let you respond to it. Uh, after the Uvalde situation first came out, and some of the reports were, and some of the uh, accusations were that the police officers didn't do their jobs right because of this, that, or the other thing, I was very, very, very defensive of the police officers in Uvalde. And the reason why is because I'm very defensive of police officers in general, because they do a job that the you know 99.999% of the population could never do, and that is run toward gunfire when everybody else is running away from it, running forward and toward saving people in life-harrowing, uh, life-endangering situations and harrowing situations that most people would never be able to do. They deserve the benefit of the doubt. That has always been my mindset when it comes to policing. And so all I said at that time was, for God's sake, the investigation was just started. It was in its infancy. We have to wait and see what cameras show, video cameras, surveillance cameras, body cameras. Why is everybody assuming the worst uh, of this situation? And that's all I asked for. Well, now we are starting. In fact, the video, 77 minutes long, was acquired by a San Antonio television station. It is now making the rounds, and we are seeing exactly what happened, what you just described. Two officers, in particular, who followed him through the same open door, the shooter, uh, three minutes after pursuing, and then, you know, obviously carefully trying to figure out where they, you know, what they were going to do. As soon as there was gunfire, they turned and retreated, knowing that there were children inside being shot and teachers. So now that the investigation and the videos and all of the evidence we need to make a judgment uh, seem to be in, I am absolutely in agreement with you. This was cowardly. This was unbecoming of the badge. This was akin to throwing down your weapons and surrendering, if you will. Uh, This is the exact opposite of protect and serve. And the only thing that I'll say, you know, in, in defense of policing in general is how much of an outlier this really is, how much of a one off it really is. This kind of thing is so rare. Uh, because of the extraordinary heroism of, of, of 99.9% of police officers who do the exact opposite of what these perhaps less than well-trained officers or maybe just less you know strong of heart and character officers displayed. We don't see this very often at all, and I suppose that's the only positive thing that I'll take away from it. Go ahead. Yeah, Derek, I just want to uh, – I'll just say two things to that is that, you know uh, – I, I've been a public affairs sergeant in the uh, Army Reserve for about 20 years, mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of key in on uh, public statements from government or authority figures, you know. And uh, when immediately, I forget who said it, but immediately, the first in the, that first statement that came out right after the shooting was uh, this guy thanked the immediate and quick response of law enforcement. And the way he said it, it just sort of stuck with me. And I said, I bet you the way this came out, the way he's putting that out, it just made me feel that there was something more to the story. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the mayor of Uvalde is absolutely furious. I don't know if you saw that. I those did. articles. I did. He just, he's flipping mad. Bob. And why is he so upset? He's upset because the tape was released a few days early. And uh, the town, the city wasn't given a chance to properly brace itself for the release. This is why he's angry. And it's just, it, it's, it, it just speaks to the rot 
that's going on inside this country everywhere you look. Yeah, and you know who I felt very bad for uh, in this whole thing in Texas um, is is Governor Abbott, because Governor Abbott made a statement uh, very early on here and saying this is a terrible loss of life, but thank goodness for the Uvalde police and the specific officers who were assigned to uh, that school and the chief of, uh, and it's weird, he was the chief of just the school police, I guess, not not the actual city of Uvalde police, but he talked about how they certainly stopped uh, you know more lives from being taken. And this, of course, because that's what he was told, and that's what we expect in every circumstance. You know, we ex- we see police officers running toward the burning towers uh, and trying to save people. We see them, you know, st- squaring off against, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, armed uh, bank robbers in Los Angeles, uh, you know, for 44 hours, for crying out loud, and, and trying to save lives. And so he said, clearly, our officers went and tried to do everything they could and then come to find out that they didn't, that they stood, that they waited, that they, uh, one of them was worried about hand sanitizer as he stood there, uh, you know, in that yeah. video, uh, washing his hands while shooting is going on. You know, Abbott looked like the complete fool because he just assumed that what he was being told, that the police officers did what police officers do, happened. And then come to find out they didn't, and he looked like he was just, of course, a rubber stamp for for law enforcement. So there were so many things that went wrong here and so many, so much misinformation. That's why I wanted people to stop judging until the, the the information and the investigation was completed and the information released. And then we can judge, and I'll judge right now. And, and as you are and everybody else, it speaks to just an unbelievably cowardly situation. Uh, it was just a chaos, chaos from the very beginning. Uh, it was It was the worst of policing. Uh, rather than what we have come to expect in times of crisis, including in mass shootings, where they do go and do phenomenal work to try to limit the damage and take out the uh, perpetrator as quickly as humanly possible, uh, putting their lives on the line. It's, but like I said, it's an it's an outlier in this situation. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's systemic in policing around America. I don't think it's systemic even in Texas. I just think it's a very tragic no, situation no. and an outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, just to put a, a cherry on it is uh, you know. It's, <clears throat> As, you're, as I'm listening to you, Bob, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, one of the things I tell my children, I share my mistakes with my four kids. And what I tell them is somehow I feel better about my mistakes if I can somehow convince you not to make the same mistakes. Like if I but, you know, it's like when I watch, don't make me watch you repeat my mistakes. And so I think that what's going to happen in, uh, in local law enforcement around Ohio and around the country is that people are going to refocus and retool and rededicate themselves post Uvalde so that, uh, you know, we're never going to know how many lives are saved because of the preventive measures that are going to, and the proactive steps that are going to be taken after the tragedy. But I, I would hope that uh, people are going to learn from this. Well, I, I have no doubt that they will. And you know what? I, I mean, I, look, I, I'm just being real here. This is just 100% real talk. Everybody thinks it'll never happen here. Everybody does. They, you know, they, in, in, in Chardon, Ohio, nobody thought it was going to happen there either. Nobody thought in Uvalde, everybody thinks, boy, look at that. There's another mass shooting, another mass shooting, another mass shooting, or another school shooting. And you see these things happen in Parkland, uh, Florida. We're like, boy, thank God that kind of thing never happens here. Nobody ever thinks it would. And I think that perhaps 
in preparation, um, that that kind of attitude prevails. You know, police officers, yeah, yeah, we're ready. If there's a shooter here, we'll we'll know what to do. And they don't drill on it. They don't practice for it because it's almost like when you go through the motions of a tornado drill back when you were a kid, going into the basement or into the boiler room and putting your head between your legs and, and, and trying to stop a tornado or a nuclear drill or whatever. Um, you just never think it's really going to happen. And so you get lax on the tre- the preparation and training necessary to deal with it. And I guarantee you that's what happened with those officers. I don't think they're all born cowards, the ones that went in there. They just didn't know what to do because I don't think they trained on it, drilled on it, or knew uh, what to do. Um, and, and, and I don't think anybody does. So if anything good comes out of this, it's what you just said. Hopefully everyone will train and every you know police department and every you know school uh, staff and administration and faculty and so on and so forth, everyone will train as if it is absolutely going to happen here, so that we are we are prepared in that eventuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen to that. It's uh, you know, and then and then we move on. So what else? What else is going on, Bob? I uh, I, I'm got, kind of excited. I've got. I'm, some, I'm excited about the pro-life movement in Ohio. Maybe taking. You know, maybe stepping up and uh, trying to get something done. Well, let's let's before we talk about the pro life movement in Ohio. Uh, and Neil McCabe is my guest. He is a reporter for the Ohio Star. He's a regular Wednesday commentator. He covers the state house, covers the state from end to end. And uh, I doubt very seriously that Neil McCabe has been successful in tracking down the uh, child abuse doctor who allegedly called the Indiana doctor, the abortion doctor, to say, "Hey, I've got a pregnant ten year old uh, who was raped." Uh, and uh, in an incestuous attack by a family member who can't get an abortion here in Ohio because Ohio passed the six-week law, and the six weeks has gone by. It's six weeks and three days now. Um, I, I bet you haven't found that person yet, uh, despite the fact that President Biden insists that it really happened. Hold on, you're supposed yeah, to be uh, here. I, no, hold on a second here. I, Neil. I, I, hold, hold on a second, Neil. You're supposed to be hearing something here, but for some strange reason... You're not. We got our mute our mute button here pushed. Hold on. Just last week, it was reported that a 10-year-old girl was a rape victim in Ohio. 10 years old. And she was forced to have to travel out of the state to Indiana to seek to terminate the presidency and maybe save her life. That's last part is my judgment. 10 years old. 10 years old. So the president took that story to the national press. And it, of course, has gone viral and, in fact, international in the press, and yet nobody seems to know anything about it here in our state. Now take it away, Neil McCabe. Well, I think, first of all, I think we, we all welcome that the uh, the President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr., has always had a special concern and care for young girls, and we all respect that. Uh, however, I think that we're going to find Jimmy Hoffa, wherever he is, wherever he may be, before we find anybody related to this uh, this sort of hokum story that, um, frankly, a lot of people have had a ton of fun uh, tearing apart as, as complete, it's complete garbage and sort of made up. Yeah, and that's the reason, of course, why I phrased it the way I did. I doubt you've uh, found anybody because there is nobody to find. You know, uh, uh, Governor, or not Governor, uh, Attorney General Dave Yost uh, talk, uh, talked about this uh, on on yeah, Jesse credit Water to him, Show. by the way. Yeah, he was on Jesse Water Show saying, "Look, um, there has been no report whatsoever of a rape, no report of a ten-year-old being raped, much less by a family member. This wouldn't be hard to follow if there was a rape by a family member. Look at all of the males in the family and 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 start investigating and questioning them or uh, asking for DNA samples. But none of that has happened. And moreover, which he pointed out." 
if this terrible, tragic tale, which is all that it is, it's a fairy tale, if this had ever actually happened, uh, Dave Jost pointed out, this person would not have to flee the state of Ohio to, to, to seek services to deal with this situation, because this would clearly fall under the exception under Ohio's law. Yeah, and of course, you know, there are many tragedies around, uh, you know, abortion. And, you know, one of the things that the, the pro-abortion forces sort of rely on is that uh, pro-life people are hesitant to sort of talk about some of the, uh, the, the, the gross and disgusting sides, you know, the, the, the cutting up and the vacuuming and, and all the other. It, it's just very uncomfortable and gross to talk about this practice, evil practice. And uh, they can that we sort of allow the pro-abortion people to give this gloss of like women's health and reproductive freedom uh, as if it was something we fought for, you know, at Bunker Hill. Uh, but the other side of that is also that, you know, every time there's an, there's an underage, you know, pregnancy, a, a, a young woman who's before the age of consent, that is by law a rape. And where are those rape investigations? Where are those rape convictions because in effect what has happened is Planned Parenthood and these other you know people in the abortion industry what they do is you have you have people who are abusing young women sexually assaulting them by law sexually assaulting them and and the abortionists are cleaning it up and then it's all and then it's all confidential and a lot of times a lot of times the parents have no idea that school officials have conspired to kill their grandchildren and it's just it's the whole thing is just horrible and maybe out of this whole story people will redouble their efforts to actually have some investigations you know hey attorney general yost how about starting to investigate every time someone below the age of consent is pregnant that is um, that is exactly correct, Neil McCabe, and uh, nobody is talking about that element of this. Uh, I, we're short on time here, so I want to really quickly move into what you started to say, and that is about the pro-life movement getting a shot in the arm in the state of Ohio. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, I mean, well, you know, it's you know, we have a, a Gary Glick's bill it is uh, you know mm-hmm. basically life begins at conception, mm-hmm. and this is something that the Republican Party has promised me since nineteen eighty. Uh, there was a, actually a vote in the Senate in, in 1983 on a constitutional amendment that said life begins at conception. And, of course, uh, you know, 19 Republicans voted against it. So whatever. Uh, you know, but this is something that uh, that people now can no longer escape. You can no longer hide behind the skirts of the Supreme Court. It is now in the states. It is now in your front yard and your backyard. And it's time for people to do something, Bob. Yeah, there's no question about it. We are in a much better position than we were, of course, before Roe was overturned because we had the uh, uh, the heartbeat bill waiting uh, and ready to go, you know, triggering when, 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 when Roe was overturned. But we can do so much better than this. But still, this is going to save countless numbers of lives in Ohio. Uh, I think everybody knows that. And uh, it's a huge step in the right direction, one that hopefully will be followed up by another. Neil McCabe covering the state of Ohio for the Ohio Star. And he's our regular weekend commenter, or excuse me, Wednesday commentator. Neil, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. Be good. All right. It's uh, coming up on time for news here now at 1128. So we'll take that news and we'll come back. And wow, we've been loaded. We've had guest after guest after guest after guest today. We have not had a chance to hear from you. If you want to get in, let's do it. 
216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Always Right Radio, right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1138, final segment of Always Right Radio for this Wednesday. Day of mourning in Akron for Jalen Walker, who shot at police officers before being shot by police officers and killed. I'm going to ask the same question again. Would we be having a day of mourning in Akron if the shot fired by Jalen Walker from his car at pursuing police officers had gone through the windshield and struck a driving officer in the forehead, killing him? Would it change the narrative at all? Would it change the protesters screaming down in Akron every day, chanting, how do you spell murderer APD, Akron Police Department? Would it change it if he had killed one of the officers that he shot at? Because if the answer is yes, then you're an idiot. Because it shouldn't change anything. He shot at police officers, period. And when they chased him down, he could have surrendered, put his hands in the air, and gotten down on the ground instead of turning uh, quickly toward the officers who he just shot at with his hand on his waistband. We wouldn't have a day of mourning if he had just surrendered. We wouldn't have to have a day of mourning if he had just stopped for the police, uh, for the uh, 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 traffic violation or the equipment violation. We wouldn't have a day of mourning if he had not shot at a cop. We wouldn't have a day of mourning if he hadn't had a ski mask in his car for some strange reason in the middle of June, or late June, rather, where it's very hot. Um, and, and Lord only knows what his motivation was. But all I know is that when people shoot at cops and then they get shot by cops, I don't have a day of mourning for them. Sorry. Uh, I've got a problem with that. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, I want to get a call here from Todd, who is in Ward 1 in Cleveland. It's been a minute, Todd. Where you been, my man? I'm always I'm always listening, Bob. Well, I believe that, but sometimes I need to hear that voice from you. You always bring great conversation to these airwaves. Go ahead. Well, that's an exaggeration. I shouldn't say always, but I, I frequently listen. Okay. I tune in. I, I got you, in. man. I, my wife doesn't always listen to me either. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the exchange between the um, woman professor, I think she was a law professor. Yeah, she and is. and the, I've, you're contributing to the to the problem yourself. As as there are many other people by by going along with referring to those people as transgender, we've talked about it before, and the appropriate term would be gender master. Your overall cellular makeup is what makes you what you are, and there's been no known means or method rather to um, change somebody's overall cellular makeup from one gender to another. You can mask the gender through introducing some products and some um, other things where you suppress your overall cellular makeup to some degree, but you have to keep suppressing it because if you don't, it will bounce back to some degree. So when you when they have these debates with people over the term transgender and then they come back with, well, are you saying transgenders don't exist? The, the right thing to do is say, define it. Define it, be clear on it, and then I will tell you, yeah, it does not exist, but that doesn't mean that you as a person don't exist. That's what I had problems with in that that exchange. And I also had a quick problem with when he was asking her, you know, about the value of a baby 
it would have been better if he just pressed her, explained the different stages of value from conception to um, delivery, and just just let her talk herself into a corner. Well, you know, first of all, that 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 part was Cornyn, not not Hawley. So it's two different parts of the uh, the hearing. Yeah. But but you're to to that part that you just said, I agree. But she was not going to do it. She was not. She was never going to even address a preborn baby as having value. Uh, so if he just said define value from conception to delivery, she is because he said very directly, does a baby that has been born have value? And she took four seconds to think about it before she said almost reluctantly, yes. And then does a preborn baby? Well, I believe that the person with the capacity for getting pregnant has value. Well, that isn't what I asked you. I asked you about a preborn baby. Well, I'm answering a more interesting question. I believe that a person with the capacity to be pregnant. So she, it doesn't matter how he worded that. She was going to do that because she does not want to say it out loud. That no, I don't believe babies the moment before they pass through that canal have value. She didn't want to say that out loud because she would have been exposed for the the ghoul that she is. But she was talking herself into a corner. He could have put her back in there faster if he was just explaining the degree of value to various stages of pregnancy. I, I'm but, not do, a but, doesn't, but doesn't she have to acknowledge that there is some value at any stage of pregnancy before he could paint her into that corner you're talking about? She wouldn't have it. She was not having it. She would not acknowledge that there was any value at all at any stage of the pregnancy, much less assign the values as we go. She would just say she just wouldn't even answer it. I think he would have got her, but that's that's in hindsight for the both of us. I, I just I just want I'm not a supporter of the overturning of Roe v. Wade to the degree it's been overturned. You know, I I believe that there there are multiple things that should be considered at various stages of pregnancy. Somebody should have that option. But you know what? They are, Todd. They are. They're in that just depends on what state you're in. Right. And um and I and I my thing is that if you really want to take it seriously as a public, then we have to acknowledge the truth about human cellular biology and separate ourselves from these fanatical religions and take in consideration what people have to do after they've delivered these children because they have to make another decision. Are you going to turn this person over to the system? Yeah. Todd, 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 I've got to go, and I'm a little mad at you that you don't call more often because you always give us a lot to think about and a lot to discuss. You should do that again uh, much more frequently. That is all the time that we've got. Thank you so much to our guests today. Thanks to our crew. Thanks to you for listening. It's always a pleasure and a privilege. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.